Hi, this is Ben Lowe with Back to the Bible Canada. And today we have uh, John Newfeld with Truth and Life Today. And we're going to be talking about a, a number of different questions that viewers have sent in. Uh, but just a reminder, you know, that you can uh, check out Truth and Life Today on iTunes. And you can subscribe to the audio or video podcast. Uh, go to our YouTube channel, backtothebible.ca, or like us on Facebook. And uh, uh, yeah, just make sure you continue to listen. And let us know you're listening or you're viewing as well. We'd love to hear from you. Now, we've got a number of questions that have come in today, Dr. Neufeld, uh, uh, different types of things. We're going to talk a little bit about slavery yeah. and about baptism, another one of those issues that seems to raise its head every once in a while. And then we're going to go into an interesting passage of Scripture uh, found in Proverbs 22.6. Yeah. Uh, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But let's uh, let's begin right off the bat with the, the whole issue of slavery. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, how often it comes up, and you wouldn't think it does, but, but we've been asked a, a number of different times about issues of slavery. Uh, so here it is. Uh, uh, the principle of owning another human being uh, seems wrong to us intuitively, uh, but does the Bible actually speak to, to slavery? Well, it does speak to slavery, but maybe, Ben, we can back off just a little bit from that discussion and start by saying most of us today, when we talk about slavery, have but one image in our mind, and that image is formed from the American experience in enslaving a racial people group. And I would argue that what happened in the United States is a form of slavery that is among the most despicable that has happened in human history. It was racially motivated. Um, it prevented the Africans who had been brought over from learning how to read and write and gave them no rights whatsoever. It's interesting that in Roman times, there had actually been laws enacted protecting rights of slaves. You had some slaves in the time of Jesus who were actually philosophers and teachers. Some had their own villas and lived very comfortably. So I'm not arguing that slavery is good, but I'm just simply saying we ought not to confuse this, this different description of what we find. In the Old Testament, primarily, Slavery is an indentured slave. That is, you serve for six years to pay off a debt, and at the end of six years, the, the owner is required to allow the slave to go free. And there are a lot of things that are surrounding that, but it puts limitations on slavery. It also prevents a Jew from enslaving a fellow Jew. And so there are all sorts of limitations that are placed around slavery, and uh, so we need to understand that. By the time you get to the New Testament, two things. First of all, in 1 Timothy, Paul calls slavers, enslavers. People are in the slave trade. He calls them wicked men. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this marvelous little book in our New Testament called the book of Philemon. And it's interesting because, you know, Philemon is a slave owner, and his slave Onesimus has run away. Paul sends him back to his master, but he tells Philemon that he is to take him back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. And that sets the stage for the New Testament ethic. And that is, if slave and a master have an equal standing before God and are to refer to one another as brothers, the entire power of owning another human being is broken. And so the New Testament really does break the power of slavery. So again, if I were to bring that to what we know and what we think of in slavery, if the Bible mandate had been kept in the American slave experience, the church would have repented and would have called people 
Christian people throughout America to break this evil wickedness on biblical grounds, for they surely should have done so. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the issue of baptism. Yeah. And again, we've talked about this before, right. and you're likely to get into trouble about it again. <laughs> yeah. And so I just let, let's talk about the fact that, uh, and it's come up before, because uh, you actually talked about your own mom. Yeah. And that uh, she was brought up Lutheran. Yeah. And uh, she was baptized as a child. Yeah. And uh, she chose not to be baptized later on in life. Uh, and this is the question that it comes out of, is that you actually relating that story. And, and the person who asked the question says, my wife and I are in a similar situation. She was raised Lutheran and I received membership as an adult through adult confirmation. Both of us were baptized as infants. Now we're attending a Baptist church, right. and, uh, which requires baptism through immersion as a, as a condition for membership. And they're saying, what should we do? Yeah. So my response would be, is to say this, study the scripture. Now, my reading of scripture says that in every single case in the New Testament where you find baptism, it is done upon confession of faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, it says. So that formula, believe and be baptized, over and over again is repeated. And I would argue that the incidence of household baptism, the Philippian jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, you and your household. That means you believe in the Lord Jesus and be baptized, and your household believe in the Lord Jesus and be baptized. So whenever we find household salvation, we find it always accompanying the mandate to believe. So I read the New Testament that way. I get that there are people that disagree. I think that they're wrong, but it's not a place where I think that I'm going to say, you're not a believer. I mean, I respected my mom's position. I disagreed with it, even where I'm convinced that my mom is in glory this day. So I, I wanna say that. So I would say to this couple, study the scripture on this matter. And in fact, go to your pastor or whoever leads the discussion on this matter. And if you become convicted as I am that baptism is upon confession of faith, get baptized. If you come to the conclusion that that's not right, you ought to go to a church that holds the same conviction that you do. Okay. So yeah. that, that, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, in my mom and dad's case, the problem is they were married. Yeah, yeah. And mom was a holdout, right? So. <laughs> now, it's interesting. You said uh, baptism upon conversion. Yeah. Con so, confession of faith. Confession of faith. Yeah. So if these folks have been believers for 20, 30 years, yeah. is there an implication there? Do, do they need to be baptized? Yeah, and, and I would say, yeah, they yeah. do. I would say absolutely. Okay. Um, even though, and, and I would say, look, especially in Baptistic churches, and hereby I mean not just Baptists, I mean Mennonites, I mean the Alliance Church, the Evangelical Free, I mean a lot of churches like this, right? So I, I, they have all a similar problem, and that is they have kids that come to the Lord, maybe they're in their teen years, yeah. and then they delay baptism, you know? 35 and 40 and still haven't done it, and then they start forgetting about it. My response always is, yeah, you ought to have believing and be baptizing together, but since we didn't get that done, let's not leave baptism out of the equation. Let's get her done. Yeah. You know, so I don't care if you're 75, get her done. Yeah. And simply follow the prescription of Scripture. That's what I would say. Yeah. So I would say to this couple, um, if it's not your conviction, believer's baptism, 
um, then, you know, say that. But if it's your conviction that that's what the Scripture teaches, then simply follow it. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I think, is the best answer I can give. Yeah, that's a great answer. Great answer. Now, we also got a, uh, a note in from a, a couple. And they were obviously going through some significant pain uh, because their children uh, aren't following the Lord. Yeah. And yet, uh, I, I think they've always strived to present the Lord to them and live in a godly way and model godliness to them. And, and they always took this passage, Proverbs 22, verse 6, verbatim, uh, which again says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And yet they're saying, but now I have a 22-year-old daughter, and she's an atheist. Yeah. Uh, where is the promise in this passage of Scripture? Well, let's be very clear what the passage actually promises, okay. um, and then let's find out where the promise is true. Okay. So notice it doesn't say train up a child in, uh, in, in conversion and then he'll remain saved. It says in the way he should go. Now, what does that entitle? Now, I get that Proverbs is, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when you begin to read Proverbs, you know how it goes. There's, um, there's Solomon sitting with his son and says, my son, you know, when sinners entice you, don't go after them. So he's teaching them the principles of wisdom and how to live. Mm -hmm. He's teaching them how to make decisions in life that avoid personal grief and to capture those decisions that give him the best possible outcome in life. Then he says to them, now look, you can't do this right unless you learn the fear of the Lord. But if you take an understanding of this passage as I do, I think the passage intends to teach, if you teach the, the principles of wisdom to a kid, teach them how to choose the good and reject the evil. When they're old, that'll be embedded in them. Does that mean they're gonna be saved? You sure pray that, but I don't think that the Bible gives you a promise that says that godly parents will be ensured to have saved children. I don't think that's what Proverbs is teaching us. Yeah. So that's what I would wanna say. Having said that, let me speak to the hurt and pain of parents who have children that are deserting the faith. And I would say, are your kids alive? Take hope and get before the Lord and plead their case and say, Lord, I plead for you for my child. Why would you give me this child? If it is not, then I would plead their case before you. And why would you call me to pray for them if it were not without effect? So I would pray with boldness and urgency before the throne of grace. And I would continue to hold them before the Lord every single day. While there is life, there is great hope. So that's what I would say. So I don't think that there is anything in the scripture that promises you that your kids are going to be saved, but there is enough that promises in the word of God to take great hope. Yeah, yeah. And I think just to, to restate what you said, the idea that train up a child in the way he should go, it doesn't, doesn't say conversion, train up a child and how to be converted, but it's just the idea of the things they should choose, choose uh, good over evil and, and how they should. So there's no promise there for salvation. I don't think there is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just uh, will pray for that family as well yeah. as they continue to uh, live for the Lord and uh, lift their child uh, to the throne of grace. Just a quick question in closing, and we're going to go revert back to our the Revelation series yeah. you did. And I think... Uh, We'll get a number of questions about that, I'm sure. But in context of chapter 11, yeah. it talks about 
the, the tribulation. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you saying the church will be here during the tribulation, or are you referring to the tribulation saints, those who come to know Jesus during the tribulation? Yeah, so let me be a little bit coy for starters. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the reason I did not mention a pre-tribulation rapture because it's not mentioned in the book of Revelation. So I simply didn't teach it because it's not there. Okay. And maybe that's, that's an easy answer for the outs, uh, at the outset. Uh, but let me also say that the question is not, will the saints be raptured? The question is a matter of timing. Yeah. Um, so this is such a flashpoint for a number of individuals. And, and I would simply say that there isn't a clear text anywhere that teaches a pre-tribulation rapture. It just is not found. It's built on a more systematic approach that people come to, and they build a philosophical approach to it. Now, and I'm okay with that. It's just that you can't appeal to a text. So I never mention it because I don't find it anywhere there. Yeah. And that's sort of the style of preaching you do. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, John, for today and for covering uh, some of these uh, interesting and difficult questions. And again, our hearts go out to all parents uh, as they uh, strive to nurture their children and pray for their salvation. So thanks again. And and join us again next week for more of Truth and Life Today right here with Dr. John Newfeld. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today.